0: Hi, this is Basketball Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, and you're listening to The Monarchist. Hey, Monarch Nation. Welcome back to the world's greatest ODU podcast. I'm Mike Langston, joined here with by Aaron Zelensky and Gary Williams. Welcome, guys. What's
1: up, man? going on, boys? Good to see y'all.
0: How were your bye weeks?
1: Oh, man. Pretty good. I've been in the great state of Texas since Monday. Don't fly back until tomorrow. Uh, out here for work a little bit and got to spend some time with the family. Very happy that I did not go to the OU-Texas game on Saturday, coming from a, a family of OU fans, because that was just a pure obnoxious beatdown, but... Got some briskets and tacos uh, and had fun at Roadhouse Junior last night.
2: (laughs) We had a week full of recording podcasts and releasing a mic, so it was nice to take a couple days at the end of the week to reflect and get some feedback from people who have enjoyed the podcast. Uh, Hudson earlier in the week, and then, of course, Delisha, Milton Jones for basketball, and then Nancy Lieberman rounding up last week was awesome. And then the family and I took off to the Blue Ridge Mountains this weekend And just had some nice time away and kind of disconnected the devices a little bit, and now we're back because ODU is back next week, baby.
1: And you all have dropped some kick-ass podcasts this week. If you have not checked them out, you need to. There's some pretty important news dropping in that Nancy Lieberman one. And just, just quality across the board and make sure you check out the YouTube video for your visual Hudson content of the week.
0: Appreciate that Gary. So me and lauren celebrated our 10th anniversary and we had to hit up the spot legrand for our awesome anniversary dinner fancy big mac fancy big mac and she got a brilliant short rib over stonehouse grits it was pretty awesome and caught up on some yard work other stuff and watched a lot of football so since odu was Busy recovering and getting healthy and preparing for coastal. A lot of dog games we can talk about this week and let's talk about them first. So first up Georgia Southern heads to Atlanta and loses to Georgia state. I did not see this coming after Georgia state struggles early on, but. Georgia state handled that game from the beginning to the end.
2: Well, we've talked about a few times that we've thought all season long that Georgia State was going to be a good squad, and they were going to kind of be the dark horse and potentially take take charge of the East. But they came out of the gate and kind of struggled a little bit, but they came alive this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll out myself here. I figured if App State didn't win our division, it was going to be Georgia State. It doesn't really look like either one will, but I mean, we're only a couple games into the Sun Belt schedule and I, I don't think the rules in college football matter anymore in terms of like what you did last week versus what happens this week. We saw that with A&M, Bama. You saw it just across the board. I mean, Appalachian State, we'll get to that in a minute. But it, it really is not a, a bad to have the one or no mindset because, I mean, just go out in the field and roll the dice, see what happens.
0: Well, you mentioned it. App State goes to Texas and comes back with a loss losing 36 to 24. It was, I think it was 24, nothing at halftime, which was a shock kind of refocuses everyone's energy on how good is this App State team. They were good enough to go into college station and win, but they have not looked like that team since. Not since the
2: second half of that, you know, the game against the team. I'm not going to say their name right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it, it just it's just kind of wild. And you kind of have to wonder too, how much wear and tear is on App State after playing that brutal schedule, and then you you have the longest road trip in on your your calendar, going all the way out to, to to Texas, to San Marcos, and playing that game. But they they just look like they got ambushed. They couldn't do anything right. You know, I think Texas State's first score was a big interception, and just I mean they they got their doors blown off, and you know it may refocus them or it may kind of continue the tailspin they've been in for a little bit.
0: Next up, a battle in the West. Southern Miss goes to Troy and loses 27-10. to 10. Troy continues to show defensive dominance and looking ahead to that USA-Troy game as the, the West championship pretty much.
2: Yeah, three wins in a row by Troy. They're looking strong. I think they're going to challenge South Alabama there, both two really good teams.
1: I mean, Troy's a hail mary away from being three and zero in the Sun Belt, five and one overall. You, you probably have them ranked if they're in that scenario, because I, I don't think that Southern Miss is as bad as people have thought they were in the past. They've kind of they're, they're figuring some things out down there, and they could be a problem. But you know, at this point in the season, I think it's two weeks from now. Troy and South Alabama are playing. And that's probably the best head-to-head Sun Belt matchup that we've had so far this season.
0: All right. Next up, the team. Aaron does not want to say out loud, went to Arkansas and took care of business against the Red Wolves. JMU winning 42-20. to 20. This game was closer than the score suggests, but ultimately JMU was able to pull away and leave the victor. And now they are ranked 25 in the AP poll. Pretty impressive.
2: It is. And Santeo was surgical. They played a really good game. It was... A much closer game than the score at least for the first half you know and a little bit more but then ultimately they just kind of steamrolled them to the end they 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 kind of beat down arkansas state a little bit and finally they just i won't say they tapped out but they asserted their dominance against them and you could see towards the end some of those plays with like the tight ends on the sidelines where a-State really just didn't have any fight left in them. I think I think it all turned when that ball went into the water feature, and then it was all downhill from there.
0: Well, one score game after three quarters ends up a 22-point victory. I
1: mean, JME with almost 600 yards of total offense. I mean, that's a that's a good way to beat down the defense of your opponent. Centeo 28 for 37, 394, four touchdowns. Uh, they're running back at 158 yards rushing on 21 carries for two touchdowns. I, I kind of envy JMU's ability to finish a football game with the ball in the offensive hands. Arkansas State may have may have given up on it, may have submitted, but they were forced to submit with that offensive attack from JMU. Well, you know, similar, in a way, to what we saw from Arkansas State when we played them, where they kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter and we were able to take advantage of a lot of things. But uh, to put up 21 points in the fourth quarter and pull away on the road, pretty Pretty impressive, as painful as that is for me to
2: say. Yeah, Blackman showed his legs a lot more in that game. I was watching it; he looked good and mobile. But ultimately, I mean, Jam, you just kept bringing pressure and kept hitting him and kept hitting him,
0: and it just would end up being way too much. Well, I'll say this: looking at the numbers, they only gave up twenty rushing yards total. I'm guessing with the sacks and all that. But that they've been great against the run all season long, and this is showing a trend. We can talk later about their schedule and whether this is fool's gold or not, but let's go to the last game of the week. Coastal goes to Monroe and does something that's very hard to do. I've learned this, that Monroe is a very difficult place to win, and Coastal wins 28-21 in a close one. Monroe had a chance to win late and couldn't do it, but Coastal moves to 6-0. and
1: Yeah, and you know, interesting game. Coastal had 433 yards of total offense, but 323 of those came in the first half. Uh, Coastal's defense made two fourth down red zone stops in the second half. They also forced two fumbles. It kind of seemed like ULM figured out some way to stop them offensively, Uh, but Coastal's defense kind of saves the day there, and you know, obviously we're going to look forward to our game against Coastal here in a little bit, but Coastal had 13 penalties for 130 yards. So my my preemptive players of the game for ODU Coastal will be the Sun Belt officials going for the record for number of penalties and penalty yardage, if they're calling that on us, uh, again, that Liberty game, and then Coastal getting, you know, 13 for 130. Interesting outcome there, but Coastal defense kind of saved the day there in the second half.
2: And they really did. I think they had seven or eight tackles for losses. So they they were tough. I mean, Monroe... Held McCall in check, and he had about 250 yards passing, one touchdown. So, he's what makes that whole squad go. And they really kind of bottled him up. He had about 40 yards rushing. So, nothing that nothing earth shattering. The defense really won him that game.
0: I'll, I'll say this: they're up 28-14 and a half. Their possessions in the second half: punt, three-three play punt, seven-play punt, three-play punt three-play punt, nine-play punt. So they only had two of their five drives in the second half that weren't three and outs. And the two drives that weren't, one only went for 30 yards, the other one went for 50. But their defense did a good, good enough job to not let ULM come all the way back.
1: Yeah, and I actually watched a little bit of, of that game earlier today, and it seemed like ULM came out in the second half. They did a good job of containing McCall in the pocket and blitzing, basically putting more guys out there than they could block. And it made it really, really difficult for him and in, in their offense to move the ball. But, you know, as we've seen from Coastal all year, they don't win flashy, they don't win fun, but they find a way and they win, and they're 6 0. The most
0: wild thing about this game to me is this Monroe's quarterback was 27 for 30. For 279 yards, two touchdowns. Um Pretty much a perfect game from your quarterback. And if you look at the second to last drive, they tried to run it over and over and over again. When your quarterback is 27-30 on the game, why are you running the ball? Yeah, well, I it, w- when you
1: watch Coastal's defense and you watch Old Dominion's defense, they're similar in a lot of ways. They're kind of that bend but don't, Break mentality for the most part. I mean, they're they're allowing 64% of passes to be completed, which is 95th nationally. You can complete passes on them, but they're going to be shortened underneath.
0: All right. So now we have Coastal at 29 in the AP poll, JMU at 25. Say what you want about that and their schedules. That's a great thing for the Sun Belt, and provides a lot of opportunity for a team like Old Dominion who is unbeaten and conference play
1: yeah kind of talking about good for the the conference i was found myself somewhat rooting for texas a&m last night to come back and beat bama because that would pump up a lot of things for the sunbelt they couldn't get it done hard to believe that that a&m team that was one incomplete pass away from beating bama really got dominated at home by app state but looking at coastal they're really good on the offensive side you can question their schedule, I think, as much as you can question maybe JMU's and some other ones. I think Buffalo is probably their best win now, with Buffalo being 3-0 and in the MAC. but they are seventh in yards per play, which is fifth nationally. They're converting 50% of their third downs, which is 12th nationally. They're averaging about 480 yards a game, which is 14th nationally. They're really good on the offensive side, and I think it all runs through McCall. I mean... He he is their their lifeblood. They've got a whole page devoted to him on their athletic site for his Heisman campaign, and well deserved. I mean, he is far and away the best player on their team, and he's I, I mean, in my opinion, probably the best quarterback in the Sun Belt that we're going to go face on Saturday.
2: Well, you just mentioned third downs and being really good on third downs. That's something I'm going to be looking forward for us on defense. That we've got to come up big on third downs and be able to get off the field a little bit more consistently that we have throughout the season.
0: So I want to give a shout-out to C.J. Beasley. He's a Norfolk kid, and he had a fantastic game yesterday. 15 carries, 115 yards. He's He's got a pretty good year this year, 524 yards on the season in six games. I'm not sure if he's been the starter all season, but he's having a fantastic year. And he gets a shot against his hometown team next week.
1: Yeah, they really have a two-headed monster back there with CJ Beasley and Reese White. Both of them are averaging over 80 yards per game. They're combined for five rushing touchdowns. They they've, they don't run the ball a ton. They're they're passing about 60 percent of the time, but when they do, they are are very effective with running. And they're getting you know 5.7 yards per carry, which is ninth nationally. About 219 yards per game, which is 15th nationally. So. They really exemplify the use the pass to open the run. And then, you know, you look at the passing side of the ball, they're 9.7 yards per pass, which is six in the country. It's pretty, pretty tough sledding on that offensive side of the ball. They're, they're pretty good. I will say, if you want to look for one weakness where we match up really, really well is that they are only scoring points on 71% of their red zone opportunities, which is 113th nationally. We're actually better than them offensively in the red zone. If you can believe that after all those numbers, I just spit out at you and ODU's defense is eighth nationally, only allowing 65% scoring in the red zone. So I think you're going to see a game with a lot of yards and maybe a lot of field goals. It kind of feels that way with, with both teams kind of being able to break down a little bit and and stop in the red zone.
0: So I'm also looking at their, their stats for the season and their receivers specifically because with one of our corners being very talented but very short, I'm always interested in the heights of their receivers. On one end, you got Pinkney, their leading receiver, six four. He's going to be covered by Trey Hawkins, I would imagine, most of the game. Their other receiver, though, Jared Brown, is six foot tall, and he's their second leading receiver, and that gives me a little bit of hope that we can do some damage on that side of the field. Um, Mobley is their third leading receiver. He's another six foot tall guy, so there's not going to be too many height mismatches here to take advantage of for Coastal. And I think that's a good thing for us.
2: We're going to have to to lock Brown down. He averages almost 21 yards a catch. So that's going to be a good matchup to be one to watch for sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Pinkney, I mean, he's, he's the go-to guy. I mean, that's, that's typically who who they're going to be going to and, and looking to make the most explosive plays with. But, yeah, I mean, it, Jerry Brown had some really, really important plays in that ULM game, especially in the first half. But Pinkney and Brown have combined for, for nearly 1,000 yards together already. So that that's going to be tough, especially if you get, you know, if they get going on the ground with Beasley and, and Reese White. It's they are, They're a tough team to look at on the offensive side of the ball so far this year.
2: You know what I find interesting with these guys is Pinckney's got 37 receptions, so he clearly, like you were saying, is the guy that's getting targeted the most. He's got one touchdown. Brown and Mobley, they have 39 receptions together, so two more receptions than Pinckney, but they have seven touchdowns combined of those guys. So they're not getting targeted as much, but when they do, they're making a serious splash.
0: Pinckney, the leading receiver? Wow. Yeah, no, Pinckney is. Yeah. He's got 37 for so 5'10". Pinckney has 37 receptions. To put that into... Perspective, Ollie Jennings only has thirty-two. So, we know how much volume Ollie Jennings has. I mean, it's in one fewer game, though. But I'm guessing Ollie will have more than thirty-seven after this game. I hope so. But that shows you the volume of Pinkney.
2: Oh, he's yeah. The volume
0: very similar to Ollie Jennings. And that means he's going to be the guy we need to stop. I agree. I'm just saying that those other two guys have seven
2: times the amount of touchdowns that Pickney has. So they've got three guys clearly that can catch the ball and put it in the end zone.
0: Yeah. I think those other guys are probably a little bit more explosive, but he's their, their volume guy. He's their Kobe.
2: Yeah.
1: And I would imagine he's seen probably a lot of double teams in the red zone. And maybe that's why they've had some issues scoring in the red zone, you know, and also they're scoring a lot of their touchdowns from outside the red zone too. So I, I think the, the kind of mentality that ODU's defense has taken this year is that bend, but don't break. They're going to, they're going to sit back in the zone. They're going to let the underneath stuff go, but then they're going to lock it down in the red zone. That could be, that's probably a key that we're going to need to see a lot. If, if we want to go down to, to Conway and win coastal defensively, I mean, they're they're kind of in the middle of the pack when you look at them from a statistical angle. And if you look at ODU's defense, you, Probably would think the same thing. You know, they're a little bit better against the run than they are the past. Uh, you know, they're ranked somewhere in the in the, the 50s for a point uh, opponent uh, points per game, yards per game, yards per play, things like that. Uh, but as you saw in that Louisiana Monroe game, you get down the red zone, you get on their side of the field, and they start to lock things down. You know, getting two fourth down stops, forcing two fumbles, and that turned out to be really important in a game that that was pretty close there in the end.
0: So following your logic here, so we're betting on break. They're bad in the red zone, or they don't score a lot of red zone touchdowns. You said they're 113th in the country in red zone scoring? Yep. So I had to go look at who their kicker was and how well he's kicked it. He's perfect on extra points, 27 for 27. He's only attempted seven field goals this season. He's five of seven. He's perfect beyond 40 yards three for three so he can kick a long one however he is 0 for 2 between 30 and 39 yards that's how we win we just
2: (laughs) make them kick
0: field goals from 30 to 39 all night long i think it's a pretty good plan here (laughs) yeah this could very well be one of those games
1: where the teams combined for like 1100 yards of offense but the final is like 34 to 31 because it just turns into kind of who can can kick those field goals but I mean, the the key for ODU defensively is they have to shut down McCall. He is the real deal. He is probably better than Holden Ehlers, who absolutely tore us up down at East Carolina earlier this season. You're going to have to find a way to do what ULM did in the second half to contain him, not let him extend plays with his feet, while also bringing pressure. If you rush three and drop eight and you're playing a zone, he is going to eat you alive. He is going to dink and dunk and pick you apart the entire way down the field. And your defense is going to be on the field for 40, 45 minutes. We, we can't let that happen. We have to be willing to take some risks to send seven in some situations, especially on those third and long plays, to get pressure on him, get him out of his comfort zone, make him roll left, get him out of the pocket, but don't let him extend those plays. You know, It, it would be ideal if we had our full complemented defensive ends for this game. I think it's 50-50 if, if Morrison's back. But a player like Morrison could be a huge, huge boost for us on that defensive line.
2: So, question here. You guys are talking about red zone efficiency and not being as good in the red zone as they are between the 20s. So, are they going for it a lot on fourth down when they're not scoring the touchdown because there's just not that many field goal attempts or what? But it does really interest me a lot to see what their strategy is when they get inside the 20s and whether they're just treating it as a four-down territory most of the time?
1: Yeah, they've they've gone for it on fourth down five times this season, and they're four for five. So I, I don't think they're going for it a, a ton through six games. That's not not too bad. Uh, but when they're in the red zone, they've had 23 red zone attempts. They've gotten point 17 times, but they're only 15 for 23 scoring touchdowns. And then you look at them on the defensive side, teams have had 23 attempts against them, and they've only scored touchdowns 11 times. So – it's almost like a mirror image defense there. Of We're going to let you get the underneath stuff. You're going to need to be patient as a quarterback. I think Hayden has shown his ability to be patient. Hadn't thrown a lot of interceptions. McCall, the same way. And that's why I kind of jokingly say you could see 1,100 yards total offense here in a game that's in the upper 20s, lower 30s. All
0: right. So we've established McCall as a problem. We've established that if we can – slow them down to the point where they're in the red zone, we have a shot to maybe stop them from scoring. Now let's talk about the defense. What What do you know about this defense, Gary?
1: I mean, they're going to play a lot of zone. They're going to back away and, and kind of give up some of those underneath routes, those outs and those corners that you've seen eat, up, eat us up a little bit. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily do anything special there other than when they get in the red zone they like to bring a boatload of pressure and make those decisions very very quick for the quarterback. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're not a bad defense by any means. I think they're probably better than Arkansas State's defense that we saw earlier this year if you want kind of a, a comparison there. But there's going to be ways for us to establish the run. There's going to be ways for us to establish the short intermediate passing game. It's just Can we get one of those breakout plays to Ali Jennings? Can we get Zach Koontz free if he is back on one of those seam routes against that zone? You know, if you can get two or three explosive plays on either team, really, you've got a good chance to win the game. I think whoever scores the longest touchdown in the game will probably win.
0: Well, we see one familiar face on their defense. Lance Boykin, former corner for Old Dominion. He is their star corner he's going to be the guy that's probably going to be lining up with Ali all game long. So that is going to be a very interesting matchup all game long. What can Lance do against Ali? I'm really excited about that matchup.
1: Yeah, if he ends up on Ali, that will be very interesting. I would put a good bit of money on Ali to probably win that matchup. But uh, I, I find it hard to believe that any team that's left on our schedule is going to be dumb enough to go one-on-one with Ollie. You're going to see the brackets. You're going to see a safety over the top. He's going to be getting a lot of attention, and I think that is going to leave some room for you know Javon Harvey to continue the growth that we saw from him at Liberty. Some of these freshmen who now have a bye week get installed on some more packages. I'm really curious to see how Old Dominion comes out after the bye week because if it's similar to the way we came out of the bye week last year, we're in for a lot of fun these final seven games.
2: You actually answer the question I was going to ask you about if they try to lock down Ali, which I'm sure they're going to do and throw a couple people at him, if they cover him one on one, then hey, I would love to see that. But I don't think it's going to happen. And you named a couple people who potentially could break out there. But kind of the theme of the first half of the podcast so far has been talking about McCall and how dangerous he can be. So I really do think the running game is going to be important in this game and us being able to establish that run and control the clock time of possession and not continuously give McCall the ball, you know, a lot, make him stay on the sidelines, make him wait his turn. And us have some methodical drives to go along with the ability to hit that quick strike
1: Yeah, and I I think you know with our style of defense, it's helpful when we can eat the clock. You know, the Liberty game, we actually won the time of possession battle. We had those two kind of fluky plays, two or three fluky plays early that gave them 14 points. But when you have a bend-but-don't-break mentality on defense, when you limit the number of times that that really good quarterback who makes a lot of plays can go out on the field, they start rushing. They start trying to make that that downfield throw that when they should hit the the 10-yard out route. And if you can somehow, one, keep McCall off the field as much as possible, but if you can force him to make that one mistake, which he, I, mean, I think he's only thrown two picks this entire season, he's not likely to make them. But if you can force him in a scenario where they have to throw deep, they have to throw down the field, you get him anxious wanting to make plays, you can put yourself in a great position because we do have some ball hawkers on that defense that will go up and make some big interceptions.
0: We, so we mentioned it earlier. Monroe's quarterback, 27 for 30 against them. Chandler Rogers is not a bad quarterback. But I, I would take I would take Hayden over. If he can go twenty seven for thirty against them, Hayden can do that as well. And that can help us if we can get the running game going. We can get that ball control. We have a shot here. If Monroe can play with them, we can too. And I'm just hoping he can get those wheels moving again. If he can do what he did last game against Liberty. I, we have a shot here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we saw a different Hayden Wolf against Liberty. He was aggressive. He was confident. He just – just a different Hayden Wolf. Like, we've been waiting for him to kind of make that step, and I imagine that was significantly reinforced throughout the bye week, along with probably adding some things in for him to use as weapons on the offensive side of the ball. But if he thrives in those environments where you want to give him the 10-yard the underneath, the 7-yard underneath. He's going to take him all day. He's going to go through his progressions and he's going to hit them. And if we start being able to hit those short intermediate passes, guys like Blake Watson and Keyshawn Wicks and Obisani are going to be able to feast running the football. And I think you may see some slightly different running concepts out of ODU as we come out of the bye week, some things that they've learned from the first five games that work, some that don't. We saw some flashes of it in our last two games with a lot of motion, getting wide receivers involved in the running game. You get that short intermediate passing. You get a running game going. You're on the field for 35, 37, 38 minutes. You put yourself in a much better position to possibly win that game.
2: Yeah, we see Hayden take off a naked bootleg and score another touchdown. I think we're going to have to go back to the well. Remember the days where Taylor Heineke's arm Twitter account? Something might have to pop up with a Hayden Wolf's feet or Hayden Wolf's legs or something like that. You know, if he does that once or twice in the game, I think it's important that teams realize it's real. It's a real threat. It wasn't a one-time fluke that at any given time it could happen. And just the thought that it could happen, I mean, he shows he's athletic enough to make it hurt. It's not like it's just going to be two or three yards. He showed a little, bit of a, a little bit of a step there being able to get into the end zone before those two defenders could get to him.
1: I mean, he's a big guy, but he's not slow. And when he runs the ball, I mean, he, he can move out there. And I think it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you finally run, it's wide open – and then you feel the confidence of I can continue to run because you saw later in the game after that, he was stepping up in the pocket and going and getting three or four yards on the ground when nothing was there in the passing game. Like he's going to protect the football. And I think that's, that's great. Like we can't afford to have turnovers, but if instead of taking a three, four five yard sack, he's getting a three, four, five yard gain on those scrambles and being able to go up the middle where the, the pressure is not. I mean, that's a, that's a huge weapon for us. It just forces everyone to, on the defense to just think a little bit more, hesitate a little bit more, make it a little bit more difficult to come in and stuff the run. So hey, Hayden's feet, I'm, I'll am i go and get that Twitter account fired up tonight. Like, let's let's go Hayden's feet.
0: So he had his best game of the season and you think it's his best game of his career and it was without Coots If we throw Koontz back into the mix of that, how much better could this game, his game get? I'm excited to see if he starts running with Koontz in the game, that'll change the dynamics of that whole offense a lot.
1: Yeah, and we talk a lot about Koontz in the receiving game, and he is a fantastic receiving tight end. He's also one of our best blockers on the line at tight end position, so getting him back is good in a number of ways. But if Coastal's going to run a lot of kind of zone, those seam routes for Koontz are going to be there, and we haven't seen that, that develop too much this year that's been just bracketed but the the Koontz RPO quick zone seam hitter to Koontz was like 17 to 20 yards on the money last year and I would love to see that pop up again too if he's healthy I I think he's back but I, I don't know
0: I was told he is that was a about a week ago now so things can change we don't know but let's just assume he is and brighter days are ahead
1: Yeah. Well, the good thing with the bye week is a a lot of the guys on our team just had like small injuries, bumps, bruises, wear and tear. And having the week off and extra days off is just nothing but but good for them. I mean, I, I, I don't know any official injury reports, but I find it hard to believe that Jason Henderson wasn't sore at the very least, leading the nation in tackles. So getting him healthy, him a little bit faster is really nice. I know Terry Jones, I think you would have to physically restrain him from getting on the field when he's got some injuries. So coming up a little bit fresh after Coastal just played a tough road game in Louisiana is something that benefits us. I think it's in a way similar to when JMU went down to Appalachian State off of a bye week and App was coming off of a pretty tough run of games. Being fresh sometimes is, is really, really important.
0: Yeah, you can't understate how important it is to be fresh. We've seen some really good teams struggle after just getting beat up throughout the year and then losing to opponents that no one would expect them to lose to. And this should, I mean, at at the beginning of the season, Phil Steele expected us to win this game. He thought we had a shot to win this game. And I don't see a reason why we shouldn't unless McCall just can't be contained by us. That's really what's going to come down to, I think
1: yeah and we we have struggled this year to stop mobile quarterbacks, but we did some pretty unique things against Liberty that shut down Salter, who is probably the most mobile of quarterbacks that we saw, certainly was not the best passer by any means, but from an athleticism and mobility standpoint, he was really good, and we were able to contain him in the pocket to make him throw. I think you're going to have to do that against McCall, but I mean McCall, this is his third straight year starting. He knows that offense inside and out. He's played some really, really tough defenses in his past. Maybe not as great a defense as this year, but, I mean, you you look at his track record, he can make some plays. Contain and pressure McCall. Take care of the football on offense. Take what they give you. Got to go back to almost those Taylor Heineke-style days where, you know, I think we only had like 12 offensive plays and calls from the sideline the whole time Taylor was in school. And he would come up and make some quick adjustments, and take what the defense gave them. If that's an 80-yard bomb, fantastic. If it's a seven-yard out or a four-yard slant, great, take it. I think that's what we're going to have to do, keep Coastal's offense and McCall watching from the sideline like the rest of us.
2: That's right, third down. Third down is my call on this game on both sides, both sides of the ball here. We've got to be consistent on picking up third downs and having good opportunities at third and short's. We're not coming up at 3rd and 10. We're taking penalties and being 3rd and 15, that we have achievable 3rd downs. And then on the 3rd downs that that Coastal has, we need to get off the field when we're expected to get off the field, not giving up those 3rd and 10-plus type of plays. You know, when they're 3rd and two, third and 3, okay, I get it. But we're just going to have to – it's going to be a pivotal down. It is always a pivotal down, but this week especially, it really is
0: going to be.
1: If I see an eight-man drop on third and 17 again, I'm going to lose my
0: mind. You and me both, Gary. All right, any final thoughts on this game? Nah.
2: we just need to have lots of 30- to 39-yard field goals, and we win the game.
1: Old Dominion needs to go win a road game. That's what Old Dominion needs to do. If this year and mean no other, I mean, you look at all the games that are occurring across the country and weird stuff's happening. And what you did last week doesn't matter. ODU needs to go down to Conway and they need to win a road game. And I think if they can win this game, it's going to pop off a lot more wins coming up for us against, again, some really, really tough teams, but you know, Coastal's no slaps. You know, eventually you are what your record says you are. They're six and zero. And we need to go down to their place, and we need to come out with a win.
2: Well, you know, one thing we haven't talked about that might might help a little here, the first thing that comes of a benefit of having gone to that bowl game last year is a lot of our teams actually played there. So it won't be a mysterious type of first-time kind of place. They've been there, they've seen the field, and it's going to be a little bit familiar to them. So, yeah, it's a road game, but at least they've stepped foot on that field before, and it'll seem familiar for them.
1: And, hey, some of us even know how to sneak into the president suite.
0: There's that. Yeah, we all know that they don't guard it very well. I will add, all of our fans should know how to actually get to the homestand now. Now we know we have to walk up to that weird end zone section, walk across it, and then walk down again. (laughs) Seriously, the worst egress and ingress I've ever seen in a stadium. I don't understand how anyone saw that and thought this was a good idea. I hope we, we show up really well in Conway, but I do not expect another 5,000 fans again. I'd be happy with 1,500.
1: Yeah, it's, it's I think it's going to be tough for a lot of people to to get down there. I know I just booked my travel to go to Georgia State, so I definitely will not be in Conway this weekend, or if there's any coastal people listening, I will not be in UCLA either, you know, Upper Conway, Lower Aner, but – yeah, that was a very weird ingress egress there, but we had we had a good time at their place. Hopefully, something from that carries over to the guys, and yeah, it'd be nice to get a road win here
2: and be three and three. So, Mike, what's Vegas saying on this thing?
0: They opened up at 13. It unveiled on MGM at 11 and a half. So that 13 was already hammered down to 11 and a half before it even went on mobile. The casinos had already hammered it down a little bit. I'm guessing it'll close around 10, 9, 9 or 10. What do you think, Gary?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to end up dropping quite a bit. And if you just look at Coastal's games this season, they won one game by 17, and that was at Georgia State. But the rest of their games have been fairly close. 10-point win against Army, 4-point win against Gardner-Webb, 1-by-12 against Buffalo. They got a 4-point win at home against Georgia Southern, with a 7-point win this past week on the road at Louisiana Monroe. I have a hard time thinking that we are that much different than ULM or Georgia Southern or Buffalo. So I think this ends up at a nice pretty nine and a half to get some money going the other way. But, you know, Coastal's really done a good job of winning football games this year, but they have not won the pretty. They have not really been dominant in any way. So that, that number opening up seems pretty high.
0: Yeah, it was influencing bets on Old Dominion early. Now, once it gets hammered down, it'll go the other direction. Vegas will be protected.
1: Yeah. And I also think, you know, Grayson McCall has has dealt with some injuries throughout his career. I I don't know. And I don't think that he has anything going on right now, but I know that probably the biggest thing that could impact that spread is if Grayson McCall ends up, you know, limited participant in practice one day, you could see some really weird line movement.
0: And I'll add this. This will be the, what, seventh straight game they've played this year? That's not easy.
1: Yeah, they're they're going going into a bye week after this. It it is their homecoming weekend, so they'll probably have a little bit bigger attendance than normal than they go into a bye week. But yeah, I mean, even you know they they've had those closed games, so they haven't been able to like go dump the second string and put in the bottom of the depth chart at any point, even against the Gardner Webb. I mean, that was a thirty-one twenty-seven game in Conway, so their starters have seen a lot of snaps so far this season.
2: Well, the weather's supposed to be sunny in, like, mid-60s and perfect. So, that's not going to impact the game at all.
1: Better than that 30-degree weather we dealt with during the bowl game, freezing to death in the tailgate lot.
2: Yeah, that's that sucked.
0: It's a noon kick. This game is on ESPNU. Myrtle, in this time of year, is just about perfect. Pretty close to what you're going to get in Norfolk right around now with just less less rain. I wish I could make the trip. It's always a fun one, but end of quarter has got me by the balls. The football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: the the work trip this week and I'm planning to go to Georgia State kind of has me as well. I think uh, I think this weekend coming up is the only weekend that I am not on the road or at a game somewhere for the entire fall. But I believe there's a little watch party being organized on the east side of Richmond.
2: Well, you talked earlier about the team being banged up after a number of tough games and the bye week coming at the right time. I think it kind of did for us as well with regards to tailgating and all that stuff, and we we will be fired up for that home game on the twenty second to bring the tailgating heat again.
0: Speaking of which, if listeners are interested in watching the game with some monarchists this Saturday, let us know and maybe we can figure something out. All right, fellas. We went one and one without doing predictions. Do we want to switch it up?
1: I'm not going to predict anything. It's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be lower scoring than the yards would indicate. Grayson McCall is a beast and we need to stop him.
2: Yeah, my predictions suck. So I'm just going to cheer really hard at noon. And um, if we score more points than them, then we're going to win.
0: That's a very salient point. Can't disagree with it at all. If we do score more than them, we will win. But Guaranteed. No prediction for us this week. Just expect a great game and hope ODU comes home 2-0 in the Sun Belt. Let's go 1-0, baby. Go Monarchs. That's all that matters right now, man, that conference record.
1: Yep. Everything is in front of ODU. Go 1-0. Be coastal and let's come home.
0: All right. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.
2: Go Monarchs.